Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Heather, Mercedes, and Micah. And friends, we have a really exciting couple episodes in a row. This is going to be part one of a two-part series about health and intelligence and nutrition with the one and only brilliant Dr. Sarathy, who is an expert on functional nutrition and has a son with a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. So thanks for joining us and welcome to the Lucky View podcast. Our sponsor this week is Jonas Paul Eyewear. They are on a mission to help kids feel beautiful and confident in their glasses. With at-home try-on kits that cost only a dollar and prescription glasses starting at $79, including prescription lenses, Jonas Paul Eyewear is the place to go for glasses for your child and your teen. Visit JonasPaulEyewear.com to learn more. All right, here we go, everybody. All right, girls, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, something called functional nutrition, which I don't think any of us, I'm just going to say right now, none of us are going to define that, okay? Because we need an expert to do that. We, I know yes. the three of us, the three of us like to go in hard, like, this is what it means. And like, oh, <laughs> we, need to, we need to bring in an expert. We like to pretend like we know what these things mean. We do. <laughs> we do. But in the past, we have talked about food stuff. I know all three of us. Yes feel and understand the importance of nutrition for mm-hmm. all humans, but for our kids with Down syndrome, um, I know that all of us, I think more you two than me mm-hmm. go an extra mile, although that might be the wrong saying, but what are your thoughts on, on nutrition and your kiddos? Super important, but all super important. And for me, I'll say for myself also really hard to stick to. Because since it is um, alternative diets are just that alternative. So it's not a general diet that I don't know how to explain it, but we try. And when we're on it for sunflower, I can see um, a real thrivingness with her when we're on vacation, when it's the summertime during COVID home all day and we're not on it. I could see a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've talked about this just in, in the past six months, we've made major changes with ACEs diet. And so I have seen huge strides that he's made just in terms of um, his engagement and his ability to like hear what we're saying and respond to us. And so I'm excited. I, I first came across our, our guest, in the last few months, while I've been researching, trying to figure out how to help Ace be gluten-free and dairy-free mm-hmm. and MSG-free and all these things that we've added into his life. And so our guest, Vaishrathi, she has a podcast that I've started listening to to help me. But yeah, I, I feel like this is, it's so hard. It's so hard to change a diet of, especially like one child and not change the whole family's 
diet. It's hard over summertime. I've just had a crazy morning because we flew to Philadelphia last night. And this morning I was like, well, I got to make cashew milk and I got to make mm. bread and I've got to like, like, wait, everybody, <laughs> let me get up everybody, at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Stop talking to me. I'm making cashew milk. <laughs> so, I, is- you're not just handing out Uncrustables this <laughs> right. <morning. laughs> And whole milk, two <laughs> percent. Exactly. Uncrustables dipped in nonfat milk. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like also? Um, and I want to ask our guest too, since she's in Portland. Um, you being in San Francisco, me starting off and being in Orange County, there was like that adoption of nutrition was actually really easy to fall into because there is a variety of unique shops that provide all that. Like when I went to North Carolina to visit Andy's family, the restaurants there almost would look at me twice when I'd ask, what are your gluten-free options? hundred <laughs> percent. We, would, we like- always joke that we go to Iowa every other year to be with my dad's family and Dear Iowans who are listening, adore you. I love <laughs> I Iowans. And I know that, that you have a variety of nutrition all over, but it's like, it is like that. Like you, there's nobody can go to grandma's house with any kind of dietary specialty. Totally. So like my sister's a vegetarian. It's like, bummer, gluten-free, too bad. No sugar. Oh, well. I mean, it really is like, it, and they're almost annoyed. Bummer. Right. <laughs> like this is a thing. And then what's, what's really funny about that too, is my grandma is 96. She's going to be 97 soon. She's just trucking right along. Right. And she's, basically eating healthy, but so much pork and pit and corn. And I mean, I think as a Californian, yeah, it's like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to eat pork or corn guys or (laughs) yeah, or all these things, but it's, I think let's bring our guest on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, because I, all three of us have some understanding, but we are not experts here as it is for most of our episodes. Um, but we're so thankful to have Dr. Sarathy with us. She's a functional nutrition educator who has two master's degrees, a PhD in environmental chemistry. She's also a mother of a child with a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism, as well as a podcast, which Micah mentioned, um, and I'm sure everyone will be listening from now on. So she, as we've said, she's much more qualified to talk about this topic than we are. And this is part one of part two. So we're excited to get started. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. And I I kind of, because you mentioned my degrees and because we're also going to be talking about assuming intelligence, I want to start off by saying that I am your prime example of having three postgraduate degrees has no correlation with intelligence. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I just want to start there, but um, it just, I just kind of, went on accumulating degrees that have nothing to do with what I do now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I'm super excited to be here. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, thank yes. you for coming on and educating us all. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and about yourself and um, what you do as a functional nutrition practitioner? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I always find it as a hard place to s- start. Um, I'm not, I'm never sure where to start talking about myself. So if you, if you feel like I haven't said something or have said too much, you can always let me know, but I have these two parallel paths in my life. So on one hand, I'm a chemistry and math educator and I used to be an environmental engineer. And then, um, 
But anyway, on my other parallel path, I'm a functional nutrition educator. And on the surface, there are two completely different things, right? So because I mean, they have nothing to do with each other. But I think the way that I've been shaped by Sid, who's my son, who's 13 and has a dual diagnosis, um, is that these paths have become so overlapped and there's, it's, it's kind of hard to tease one out from the other. But today we're talking about functional nutrition. So I got into functional nutrition because of some, um, um, I don't want to say behavioral issues because I don't even believe in behavioral issues anymore, but um, you know, all behavior is communication and all that. But my son was getting harder and harder to reach. And that was when I let, dropped my job at Intel because I, there were some behave like, you know, my son would cry and I would have, I was so busy at my job that I would have no idea what he was doing. I would have no insight into his personality. And um, the week that I realized that I, I had to, you know, stop and just take a break and see what was going on. And that was the time when he was diagnosed. He was non-speaking and he's still non-speaking, not non-verbal, not, not communicative, just non-speaking. But um, he, um, anyway, so he was, you know, he was doing really well in an inclusive Montessori at the time, but started having trouble focusing and used to, you know, laugh maniacally for hours at an end. And we had no idea what was going on. That was when I kind of started dipping my toes into functional medicine and functional mm -hmm. nutrition. And I'll give a, you know, a definition in a bit, but um, so, and as I was learning more about nutrition and how it impacts the body and I was, um, I was doing so much of it and talking to so many people that I thought I'm, already no chemistry. And this is something that, you know, I, I really felt like I should be learning too. So I spent a few years, uh, four years learning and being mentored by a um, really excellent functional nutrition practitioner in Portland. Mm -hmm. Her name's Andrea Nakayama. And um, so now I practice, um, kind of like to call myself a functional nutrition educator, because I feel like I'm educating the parents on, you know, being um, so that they don't need me is, mm -hmm. is, 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 is my ultimate goal so that nobody needs me. But mm -hmm. uh, so maybe this is a good uh, space to talk about what functional nutrition is. Mm -hmm. So um, I was thinking of, I mean, we, we talk about speech a lot of times with our children and we talk about functional speech, right? So we say, I mean, there's, especially when we're working with kids that have apraxia, you know, there's, there's just speech, which is, it could be echolalia, they could just be saying words they could be stimming with words or they could be speech that actually, you know, is used as conversation or asked, used to convey a message. And that's what we call functional speech. And I think it's the same analogy at play here where um, oftentimes in conventional nutrition, we're looking at, are you eating the right foods? Are you getting enough protein, carbs, fats, our macronutrients? Are you getting the micronutrients, your vitamins, your minerals? But functional nutrition is not just what you eat, but what your body can do with what you eat. So maybe you're eating everything. Maybe two kids are eating the same diet, but one kid is, uh, you know, has failure to thrive or is deficient in something despite eating it. And that's where you get into functional nutrition so that it's about digestion. So the word that's used is terrain. So it's like what soil is the plant growing in, right? So your soil is, is starts with your digestion. Are you are you breaking down? Are you absorbing? Are you assimilating? Are you metabolizing or converting this food into energy appropriately? Um, so that's, that's basically the whole summary. So functional nutrition looks at, I always start by looking at a kid's digestion because it, before I even know what they eat, I need to know whether they can you know, use what they eat. And then of course we do have to talk about what they eat. That's not unimportant, but um, so that's, that's like the big overview. I love that because I think that that's like, so, I mean, 
I've never heard it explained that way, but it really is, is, is what they're eating, like working for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the big question. Mm-hmm. So I, so Vaish, would you tell us a little bit about uh, how, so you said you told us that your son had a dual diagnosis or you had gotten his autism diagnosis and that then you, he was laughing maniacally and you were kind of trying to figure out. So what led you to figure out what was going on with his diet and what were the first steps that you started to take? Honestly, at the time, my son was, um, he would eat two foods, which were wheat and dairy. And um, we had been told, you know, I mean, like everybody is told that those may not be the best foods to eat. And we really had no idea how to move from there. But um, so at this time, when I was looking for answers for what's this laughter, why is he, I mean, I would often get answers, like at least he's laughing and not crying. But if you saw him laugh, I mean, there really was no difference. I mean, it's, it's this kid that's completely dysregulated, detached from his body, has no idea what's going on and has can't even get up and move because he's just, he, he's lost his head laughing. So wow. one naturopath, yeah, one naturopath told us that this was a classic um, East overgrowth in the gut. Mm. This isn't... Um, something that you often hear in your um with your regular pcp i don't think they it's even thought of as a thing usually think of like thrush in your mouth or you know um on your feet and so on but like even vaginal thrush but not really gut you know like people don't talk about intestinal um, Mm -hmm. yeast overgrowth and then she gave him um an allopathic um, just an antifungal like a tablet and that made him better but then he, we didn't do any other changes with diet. And then he was, within three months, he was back to the same situation and the medicine didn't work. And that's when I started digging in. I had, I had to talk to a lot of experts and, um, and then I was looking at diets for yeast and so on. And then we made a, based on what I'd read at the time, we made a really drastic change into something called a body ecology diet, um, which was kind of used by older people that have candida infections and, um, so, which was very radical for us. And mm. I think it would be very hard to implement with a child that would, um, you know, would be rebellious. It is not. So it was kind of easy for us. We kind of had it easy in many of these things. So he, um, we moved from eating wheat and dairy to just eating very few grains, a lot of the seed-like grains, quinoa and so on, and no sugar in his diet at all. It was very hard for him for the first month or so. But then and then we actually went one step further into removing grains because at the time I was really desperate because he was mm-hmm. unable to function. And that uh, within a few months of doing that, he, there was like, it was, it was night and day. So, I mean, you could hear from school and the teachers were able to work with him again. He was able to even not in those days, he wasn't really responsive in even otherwise, but he was still, you could just see like this, like this fog lift. Hmm. And, and, and a child that would at least turn around to look at things and being able to be comfortable in his own body. Hmm. Yeah. How old is he when this was happening, when you started four. this? Four, four and a half. Four. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How has it, um, cause he's 13 now. Uh-huh. And so can you share how nutrition has, has shifted or has there been any big changes or from four to now it's basically been the same? So some of the, um, so eventually, you know, just to back up a little bit, yes, he has a dual diagnosis, but eventually a lot of his therapists and uh, I'm, I'm 
sort of an introvert. So I don't really socialize with many people with the same diagnosis. I had no idea what this a dual diagnosis is even supposed to look like. For the longest time, it was only when I saw another kid with Down syndrome that I realized that, okay, what Sid has isn't just Down syndrome. There's something else. That's when I sought out a dual diagnosis. And then eventually I saw another kid with a dual diagnosis. I saw a few other kids and I was like, okay, this even this doesn't feel right. So he has a third suspected diagnosis of cerebral palsy and he has severe, it's suspected because I don't think at this time you can do anything to prove it. And it's just another label anyway, so it doesn't sure. matter. But, um, but what I'm saying is that he has severe low muscle tone. Yes, I mean, he can barely hold a pencil in his hand, um, which means that in those terms, those are not the, um, the measures of growth that I'm looking for, or I've even seen, and I was looking for it, but I haven't seen those. What it has enabled him to do is to be comfortable in his body. So there are many times, for the longest time, I thought, okay, now we need to move out of this. He's not in a restricted diet by any means. It's just he's in a, what I call an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. I don't like the term restricted diet because diet should not be restricted. But sometimes some foods need to be out of the boundaries of um, you know, so because they're muddying the waters of your child's health. So those need to be out. But within some constraints, your child's diet should actually not be restricted. Right. So he's in this broad anti-inflammatory diet. And every time we try to move away from it, you can see the same patterns coming back in a little bit of brain fog, a lot of dysregulation. So it's, it's not as much as how, look how far he's come as to look just how regulated he is. That's it. So he's, he can sit at a table and learn and not be giggling away. And he's, he's able to move forward with his, um, with the constraints that he has also, mm -hmm. but, um, but, and which is low energy. He has other issues going on, but he, I think that being on a anti-inflammatory diet has helped him stay stable. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you talked about starting with digestion. Mm -hmm. how, how do you do that? How would I, how does that even start? So the first phase of digestion and the word, it's called cephalic. And it just means that because the body gets signals. So your stomach decides to secrete acid, your liver decides to secrete bile, everything starts with chewing. And um, that's the first place that I look because a lot of times if you're looking at kids with low muscle tone, many kids aren't chewing properly. So you're already like, we're one step backwards in, um, in the digestion process. So that starts with making sure that this a kid is chewing well, and if not, get, it has the supports that they need to, you know, uh, learn to chew well. I mean, that could be oral motor work. That is usually oral motor work. Yeah. And, um, and beyond that, it's some of the signs of, um, like some of the signs I look for is the child getting bloated um, half an hour after eating, two hours after eating. Um, and those are signs of, that could be a sign of low stomach acid. It could be a sign of too much bacterial mm -hmm. overgrowth, something they call SIBO in your small intestine. And is the child constipated? Just looking at these, um, if you had to really back up the three things I'm looking at, is the child pooping? Is the child sleeping? And um, is the, are, are the child's moods or, you know, what blood sugar is stable? But so that gives, it, gives you a very broad overview. But specifically about digestion, is the child pooping? Is the child bloated? And is the child chewing well would be like three really broad markers of mm -hmm. um, seeing if digestion is working. Okay. So you start with that, like a, an assessment almost, and then, yeah. then look at actual food. Yeah. yeah. Actual nutrition. And is there, cause your son, it sounds like he took a, 
he took something for overgrowth of yeast in his gut. He did. He took, he started, we started with like, you know, prescription antifungals, but eventually he, he went on to herbal antifungals, but then later on it was just managed through diabetes. He doesn't get, he doesn't really get much sugar in his diet at all. Actually doesn't get any sugar in his diet. So he, yeah. And could it be even like a probiotic would come into play here? It could. Yeah. So, um, yes. A probiotic in my mind is always secondary to the diet, um, okay. but it, it um, and I don't like using it long-term, but initially when a child has a lot of yeast overgrowth and it's just like completely imbalanced, a probiotic can be really great. Okay. All fermented foods, I like them better, but later on. Yeah. We were talking earlier in our intro about sometimes depending on where you live, like, so mm-hmm. At me growing up in Orange County, my cousin San Francisco, you're in Portland. Mm. The ideas of nutrition and taking things out of your diet, switching your diet up, maybe don't really exist <laughs> as the norm. Or And then I feel like there's myths that go along with that and misconceptions. Have you ran into this when talking to families and parents? Do you mean what are the myths of a healthy diet? Or- yeah. Yes. Maybe even also questions or even in your talks, people doubting this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, First of all, I would agree that Portland's totally a bubble, right? So it's it's probably (laughs) it's like you live in another world and then you go out and then you have like a culture shock just stepping out into (laughs) suburbs of Portland. So it's 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 a different I don't like it, it wasn't it wasn't so easy like uh, many years ago, but it, it was still like, I mean, you could really like, I don't know a single restaurant that doesn't have a gluten-free option in Portland. Right. Like everybody has vegan and gluten-free options. So that's, yeah, I agree that that's another world. When you're talking to people out of Portland, almost it's, um, it's, it's a different story, but yeah, there are a lot of myths and um, I'm trying to kind of uh, think about where I want to start, but like, I want to start with this, and it's a little controversial, but so, you know, Ooh, how I love it. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's this whole thing. I have an issue with this whole all foods in moderation thing, because we, we don't live in a world that is in moderation in any means. So hmm. it's this, you, you hear these extremely healthy people telling you that, uh, you know, everything in moderation and you'll be fine. And I, I just hear this a lot and, you know, but I'm in no form a, a, a proponent of, extreme diets. I'm not actually, Mm -hmm. but all foods in moderation doesn't work for kids that have poor digestive issues. Um, And especially with things like gluten and dairy, the very difficult proteins to digest. And um, does everybody need to go off them? Probably not, but more people, uh, I mean, it's worth for everybody to at least try a few weeks and see if that benefits them. But I think that, um, I think that would be the first myth is that um, because we talk about how people have eaten this throughout the ages, but, you know, agriculture has changed. I think most importantly, digestion has changed. Mm. Then when, um, when you can't, um, you know, when you can't digest these complex protein structures, um, you set the stage for inflammation and then that sets the stage for too many other things. It's kind of a vicious cycle. So that would be like the first myth. And the second one, is that a little bloating is normal for a child with Down syndrome. Children with Down syndrome are bloated. That's okay. Mm. So this is what is known as um, diagnostic overshadowing. And my friend, uh, Dr. Erica Pearson, talks a lot about this. It's that something that is not considered normal in the general population is normal because you have Down syndrome. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and like um, you know high thyroid values, like a TSH of eight or nine, which would be like you would start acting on this immediately with another child. But right. oh, you have Down syndrome; that that's okay for Down syndrome, mm-hmm. and it's because they have. Se- I mean, it, it's something I don't understand, but um, it's it's. Um, so I just want to like you know share a quick story of like Sid, when 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 you ask Sid to raise his hands. Um, he can't do this. Okay. Just something is not working. I, I don't know why he can't do this, but if you keep something on a shelf, then he'll reach up and get it. But if okay. you just say, Sid, Sid, raise your hands and do an exercise, he just can't do it. So I went to a, I was thinking like, there's many things like that, that he can't do. So I was referred to a neurologist and she, uh, she said that, Oh, I have seen this a lot in down syndrome. And, and I was really taken aback. I mean, yes, uh, first of all, I haven't, and I don't know who you've seen, but I also that how does that make any difference right so and the second thing was that maybe he doesn't understand what you're telling you which is it's like an out for the doctor it's like okay I um I think that that is diagnostic overshadowing is is huge so that Mm -hmm. I don't know if that falls under a myth though it's not really a myth it's just like something that uh, a lot of kids aren't I feel like they're not helped just because it's thought that this is normal for down syndrome well, I feel like it could kind of go along the lines of a doctor wants to tell you something <laughs> and sometimes they don't know the answers, you know? So they're just like, oh, well, because it's Down syndrome, like yeah. this is our easy go-to. Yeah. And alternative, I don't know if it's alternative medicine or if alternative practices is the right term, but it seems like if I, I have to go to a certain kind of doctor to even be given that information that there's an alternative option available, you know, sometimes yeah, yes. there's just one way that doctors go, which is medically of what they've been taught or what they've only seen. Correct. And this is, um, I heard from um, a doctor, I mean, this, this was like my high point after my TEDx talk was when I heard from a doctor who had seen the TEDx talk. And she said that after my talk, she went and she had an adult patient with uh, Down syndrome in an emergency room. And she went and explained the condition to her, whatever it was, which she would not have done earlier because she would have looked for a guardian. Mm-hmm. And um, she went and did that. And the, and, the, and the lady with Down syndrome understood this, and uh, obviously, but... Um, um, and that conversation was complete. And I thought that, okay, like that one thing that I heard was like, that just made my life. It's, it's, um, look, it, it speaks to, this is a really like open-minded lady who's like, you know, willing to do this, but it also speaks to kind of a little bit of biases that are existing from before. Mm-hmm. Even when you yeah. don't mean to, I remember, um, uh, Sunny's my first. So, um, my first, just like your, your son's your oldest. And if you told Sunny to go to her room and grab her shoes, will she be able to do that? And I remember being like, well, yes, I've asked her to. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, okay, that's good. Like almost like shocking that I would put that on her shoulders to go do and maybe shocked that she actually could complete it. And I, I see that come up for me every once in a while when I like show up somewhere and I'm like t- going to maybe drop sunflower off for an experience. And I like say all the possible things that could go wrong, you know, and then it doesn't happen. And mm. she did great. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> Good. I almost like it. I expect her to do all the things that I tell her to. But then sometimes when I drop her off and she's out in the world, I'm like, 
you guys know, but you can't do this, 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 or be careful or be aware. And it's interesting where I feel, I assume competence in one atmosphere and not the other. I'm totally like that. I say all this, but I'm totally like that. Yeah. I mean, we talk about on our podcast, our whole tagline is to shift the Down syndrome narrative. And I have found that so much of that shifting still needs to continue in my mindset. And, and sometimes people might not love this idea, but sometimes more so in the Down syndrome community Mm -hmm. um, than out. Like I, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just interesting that what you're talking about is a shift in the idea of what it means to have Down syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, when you meet someone with Down syndrome, how, what you assume about them Mm -hmm. and that's what we're all about. But we have to, I find that we've got to check it in myself too, Mm -hmm. often. Yes, same here. Well, I love how, as we're talking about this and we're talking about nutrition, that uh, there really is one of the gifts of thinking about functional nutrition is that we, you know, if I was to go back six months and say what people experienced when they experienced ACE, there would be sort of a, well, he has autism and Down syndrome, so he doesn't respond. He doesn't make eye contact. He doesn't understand his name. He's not going to go get his shoes if you ask him to go get his shoes, you know, like those sorts of things. And I think what I most want our listeners to hear is that what you're talking about, Vaish, is that we can make changes that are, that don't have to involve taking more medication. We can make changes in our kids' lives that really do. And I know like I, when I first started to make these nutritional changes, I felt a little, um, not embarrassed about it, but a little bit, um, afraid to say something to the doctor or to say something to Mm -hmm. other people because Mm -hmm. you start to read and it's like controversial to take gluten out of a diet or it's, Mm -hmm. or there's no proof, there's no research, you know, and as I would look in, like, look this up in the autism community. And, um, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about like, this is just how do our kids with Down syndrome have a harder time in their guts processing these proteins? Mm-hmm. And that it's it's not a crazy idea to think that maybe they do, or you know, maybe a lot of children do, and a, maybe I do. And that as that we can make these small choices and see what happens. And what I've gotten to see happen is just two days ago, I aced through his fork on the ground during his meal. And I said, ace. And he turned, he looked in my eyes and I said, I don't like it when you throw your fork on the ground. And he started crying. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, see, you feel bad. You shouldn't have done it. (laughs) No, it's huge, Micah. I love it. It's yes. huge. It's huge. And this, and, and it, that's what I, um, I'm excited for our listeners to hear is that this is as much as I can complain about, like I had to make bread this morning and cashew milk, but these are small <laughs> things that it, are making a huge difference in his life. He mm-hmm. is making eye contact and understanding me when I tell him I'm mad at him. <laughs> yeah. and, Clear, and right? 
like yeah, it's, it's, it's clear that fog like mm-hmm. you talked about Vaish, is is lifting and it's so cool to me yeah 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 especially because you're yeah there was the time where you were told that that those things will never happen because of a diagnosis like the diagnosis equals this right do you feel vice do you feel like this is a not a cure-all we're not curing anything that it is something that should be applied to all people who have a disability or have down syndrome or some kids with down syndrome can just i don't know we'll go back to uncrustables eat uncrustables all day (laughs) it's hard to say um and you know it's it's tempting to say yes everybody should try it but um obviously that's not the answer to anything but i think that if you think if you see that your child is not functioning to their potential if you feel that there's something something that's holding them back i think it's a great idea for everybody to be on an anti-inflammatory diet and um, despite the studies, um, a lot of um, my understanding is that a lot of the studies that have been done that have not shown an effect, I don't know what the gluten was replaced with, right? So a lot of times oh, we go into these like um, super processed gluten-free goods. And this is like a lot of times when a gluten-free diet doesn't work, you're actually, what are you eating instead? So as long as you're in the framework of a whole foods um, diet, um, first whole foods, then then gluten-free. But uh, you know, instead of going into specifics, I would say anti-inflammatory, but you know, I don't mind going to specifics actually. One of the things we do know is that there are studies that there's high levels of oxidative stress in kids with Down syndrome and autism. I mean, mm-hmm. whether you have Down syndrome or autism or both, there's high levels of oxidative stress. So we really need mm-hmm. to, I mean, why not load up on, you know, vegetables, antioxidants, you know, just, um, so my basic framework for everybody would be, you know, whole foods diet with like really veggie focused, um, it may take time to get there. It may take a couple of years even to get there mm-hmm. if your child has a lot of self-restrictions. But, you know, just moving towards that direction. And if you feel able to, like, give up gluten and dairy for a couple of months and see if that makes a difference, a lot of times when you bring it back in is when you notice the difference. It's like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize that, you know, his stomach's getting all bloated now or mm-hmm. he's, um, he's, all, he's not able to sleep. Mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Sometimes it takes a couple of days because they're not allergies, they're sensitivities, which means that it right. takes time for the inflammation to build up. And so I think if, if it's not putting a huge stress on your um, finances or on your, mm-hmm. you know, on your, just on your ability to function, I think it's worth trying out, um, trying it out for a few months, yeah. not the whole foods, um, veggie heavy. I think that should just be a template for all of us. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I like the word you use, self-restriction. I think I have a few of those too. Yeah. <laughs> that I need to help break. But because um, I will sometimes say Sunny's a picky eater, um, but I like the sound of self-restriction because I don't I know if she's picky, but I feel like maybe she's like, oh, I don't like super cold. Oh, I don't like wet. Like she just has a self, more of a self-restriction. I've been trying to reach out to adults that have gone through within quotes, picky eating. And, you know, I used to use this phrase all the time. And then I was corrected by them that no child is picky because they want to be picky. And uh, I was told that it's insulting to call a child picky. So I said, okay, so what would be, so you're, so there's some, there's either textural sensitivity going on, something going on, or it's just too much input for them. Right. Or it's causing some issue uh, inside some inflammation. So, um, so that's why I'm choosing to use. I mean, I, I think it's, I've realized, and as far as last month, I was saying picky eater, actually, I've realized <laughs> it's kind of uh, maybe a little disrespectful to say that. Yeah. Language is always 
We're always adjusting our language, yeah, right? <laughs> yes. That's so great. Okay. We're going to wrap up this conversation. And before we do that, will you let our listeners know where they can find you? So a podcast, if you have an online presence so that they can learn more about this if they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My podcast is called Functional Nutrition and Learning for Kids. So um, everywhere, like wherever you can find a podcast, I guess, iTunes and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website is uh, functionalnutritionforkids.com. Okay. And if you want to email me, that's just Vaish, V-A-I-S-H at functionalnutritionforkids.com. Cool. Very good. And we'll have links in our show notes to all, all of those for our listeners. Mm-hmm. I, I, can I say one thing? Um, yeah. Like, uh, like, you know, it, a lot of times we get very hung up. I think nutrition is super important. I think everybody should try an anti-inflammatory diet, but I also think that it's, it's the means it's not the end. So I mm-hmm. I've seen too many families just get stuck on this. Like, how can I remove more stuff from his diet? This isn't doing it. Let me check for mm-hmm. something else. And, you know, like make that the center point. Um, being a nutrition educator, bar practitioner, I'm, I just want to say that nutrition is simply the means. It is not the goal. The goal is to get your child comfortable in their body so they can move on without whatever is holding them back. So find something that works for you that keeps your child stable and move on. Mm, that. That's good. Yeah, you have such a good, like holistic or whole idea about mm-hmm. it and it feels manageable. I know that there's probably people listening because I've been this person before where you're just in a season of like, I literally, it's because it's time, it can be very time consuming, especially as you're transitioning into a new kind of diet that does feel restrictive, even though that's not the goal, right? Like there's this feeling of like, well, we're going to go out to eat. What the heck are we going to eat? There's nothing at night and we're in COVID time. So maybe this makes it easier, but like, it's, it's not just like a quick box of mac and cheese. Like there is, there are extra steps and then you get there we've done, we've done things like this before you get to the point where it's, you now have your go-tos and you have your snacks and you know how to shop and you know how to cook and it becomes easier. Mm -hmm. But I know as parents raising kids with Down syndrome, it's like that one more thing, you know, Mm -hmm. do you have, um, like an encouraging word to the parent who's listening and it's just like, like, great. Another thing I can't do. Do you know what I mean? Like that feeling of what, like how, how can it be that one tiny step that feels manageable in a life that already feels overwhelming? I think it's to view your journey as moving towards something as opposed to finding that ultimate, you know, mecca of the fancy Buddha bowl sitting on your child's table, right? So we all, I've been like, I've been looking for years to find an Instagram worthy picture of my son eating from a Buddha bowl. It's not going to happen. So yeah. So uh, yes. So let's, let's not, you know, yeah, we're just moving towards it. Any one step that like, if you can add like half a bite of veg, um, you know, vegetables to their diet. And I think don't make um, religion out of it, don't, of, right. of eating healthy. Right. So it's just, it's just a, it's just a journey. And what you can do today is good enough. If you can't do anything today, tomorrow, that's fine. Mm, I love it. I love, I love it. So good. So we end our show with some good news. Um, we're going to hear from our sponsor and then we're going to come back. Would you like to share some good news? about Sid. Yeah. Think um, about it while we go to our sponsor and we'll, we'll come back. Friends, we just got a new pair of Jonas Paul eyewear glasses in the mail recently for our Macy girl. Macy has been wearing Jonas Paul eyewear 
exclusively since she has needed glasses. They are our go-to. We absolutely love this brand. We love that Jonas Ball Eyewear is on a mission to help kids feel beautiful and confident in their glasses, which is exactly how Macy feels every time she puts her glasses on. Jonas Paul offers a home try-on kit. It costs just a dollar, and you get a variety of their different frames that you can try on at home. Your kids get to feel confident and adorable and check out the frame that they love the most. And once you've made a decision on the frames that you want for your child and that your child wants, you can get your prescription glasses starting at just $79, which includes prescription lenses. It's such a great deal. They also have blue light blocking lenses available perfect for extra screen time and all of that online learning our kiddos are doing. So head over to JonasPaulEyewear.com and if you type in code THELUCKYFEW15 at checkout, you will get 15% off just for listening. Okay, so we are back and we're going to head into some good news. So there's four of us here who all have children with Down syndrome and any one of us can share some good news good news advice do you have something so he um so sid got invited uh, to present um he uses a letter board to point and to communicate um just a low tech a through z letter board and um he got invited to present at the united nations this year which was um uh, and of course, that didn't happen because of COVID, but we had a virtual United Nations thing. So we got to record his message and um, he wrote a poem and um, he wrote about inclusion, which is kind of a little sad story. But the like, um, um, can I read out his short blip about inclusion? Yes. 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 So perfect. So he said, perfect atmospheres produce inclusion. Lost in my ship of autism overseas of ex- the good thing is that he he got into the <laughs> he he got to present. Mm-hmm. I love it. Will you will you read it one more time? Yes, and I, I quote: "Perfect atmospheres produce inclusion." Lost in my ship of autism overseas of extreme reluctance, I have never been included meaningfully. End quote. Wow, unbelievable! That is unbelievable. That is good news that he got to <laughs> yes. share that. That is good news. Not the heaviness and, of the poem. Feeling, right, right. But and I just want to say, like, if for our listeners out there, if you follow Vaish on Instagram, she shares some of Sid's po- poetry and some of the things he's written. And it is just blows my mind every time. So incredible and so encouraging to hear. Yes. I feel like it's good news also that um, he is able to have an outlet to express, you know, the hardships, you know, mm-hmm. it's, he's a beautiful writer. That's so awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, what about you guys? Do we have, I sure, I feel like I kind of shared my good news of Ace looking me in the eyes and getting sad that I made him feel bad about throwing his fork on the ground. Um, I would also say that I feel like there's just so many ways that he's communicating what he wants lately. And so today we are, we just got to his grandma's house and the door is always locked because she has a pool and he came and got me and got my hand. And I was like, do you want to play? And he walked with me through the whole house and took me to the door and to have me open the door for him. And as soon as I opened it, he, he's 
terrifying because he just runs for the pool. But he <laughs> uh, he knows what he wants, and uh-huh. he's telling me and showing me, and that's just amazing news. It's so great, Micah. Yes, I love that. We had I'll share some good news. We had a my family in town for family camp. We made our, we made up our own family camp since everything was canceled for my whole life. But we um, just kidding for the summer. Did a family camp, and Macy is an early riser, and it doesn't matter how late she goes to bed, and if she doesn't have enough sleep, our days are not as pleasant, um, and it's a lot of input with cousins. It's, there's a lot happening, and mm-hmm. so it can turn um, overwhelming mm-hmm. and then sometimes stressful, but we let the girls, uh, her two girl cousins who are the same, similar ages to she and Truly do a sleepover in our little office space and they got to do two nights of a sleepover. And the first night was just, they went to bed so late and my, I'm just like so stressed and late. My kids still go to bed at seven 30, eight o'clock in the summer. This is what I do. And it is my sanity and they need the sleep. And then they're up at six. If they go to bed at 10 or 11, they're up at six. So right. that was like my stress. Right. Anyways, she slept until like seven 30 and the whole day like had the best time with her cousins. And so I was feeling really overwhelmed that it was going to be a nightmare. And it was so fun. She had so much fun and had this like fun little sleepover with her cousins. I love that. Yeah. I have good news. Um, sunflower for a while now, and I just have forgotten to share. Um, this past year with homeschool, there's a huge in the world of homeschool emphasis on daily chores and having like a daily routine that include those chores. And, um, I, my daily chore, that's my hardest is laundry, right? I like to pile it up real high and then like, think it's so beyond me that I can't do it. But with homeschool this year, we separated, and this is really good for Sunny's speech. I have found too separated, you know, like a hold up each piece of clothing, pants, shirt, socks. Like it just really helped with their speech. And then also with saying her brother's names. Um, and she's totally great at putting, like hanging up her own clothes, folding her folding could use adjusting, but I don't care. It just goes in a drawer anyway. It's her drawer. So it could be folded however she wants, but she does this with joy and excitement that she can complete this task. And I've seen that in her. She generally loves um, to have things in place. And I think she loves the process of a pile and then organizing that pile. I've seen that in her and um, she's just really good at her own laundry. I mean, she doesn't wash it yet, but she puts it away. I think that's kind of huge. I think that's totally huge. I'm still trying to get my 12 year old to put his clothes away. (laughs) Rhodes and Shep aren't on board, but Sunny's all about it. (laughs) That is good. That is such good news. And so we, we love to hear from you listeners as well, friends. So you can share your good news with us. You can head to our website and do that. You can leave us a voicemail. The phone number is there at the lucky few podcast.com. You can go to lucky few pod on Instagram and give us a direct message with your good news and we can share it here on the podcast because we love to do that. We are going to have our friend, Dr. Sarathy back next episode. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about assuming intelligence, which I cannot wait to have this conversation. And so we have a Patreon account. Would, would you give us like one of your favorite go-to recipes that you serve your son? And we'll do it on Patreon. 
Okay. Because it's going to be for our patrons. So oh. if you want to hear, yes, if you want to hear that, make sure you head over to our website, go to our Patreon link, sign up to be a patron. Um, it helps us keep the podcast going, keeps it alive, and you also get additional content. So we're going to wrap it up here. As always, we're so thankful for you listening to the podcast. If you want to join us as a sponsor, you can email us at hello at the lucky few podcast for sponsorship opportunities. A huge thank you to our editor, Josh Avis, our producer, Val Schleter, and to everyone who listens to our podcast, who shares with their friends and who cheers us on. And remember that you, dear listener, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shout of worth and you are a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We will be together next week on Lucky Few Podcast. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Lucky Few Podcasts. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.